This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with Corey Smith, and that's it. Nobody else joined. We're just going to do a two-man podcast tonight. I'm kidding. We've got some new people. Well, we've got Sarah. You guys know who Sarah is. Sarah's here tonight. And we've got the editor-in-chief of Winter is Coming, our sometimes guest, Dan Selke, and a very new member of the podcast tonight. You know him from his in-depth articles on Winter is Coming, and his knee-jerk reactions to every episode, the man, the myth, the legend, Richard Preston. Richard, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for the wonderful introduction. Well, uh, you deserve it. Anyway, uh, nobody else does, but you do. Okay, so (laughs) let's get right into it. Tonight is our Season 7 recap, and we're going to hit some of the highlights and lowlights of each episode. Uh, But... Right now, we're going to start right into Dragonstone, and Dragonstone opened up with the the series six cold open. Uh, They didn't do a cold open last year, I believe. So, or or season three, one year they didn't do a cold open. So, this is the uh, cold open for this season was amazing. Uh, Dan, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, Having the fall of House Frey by the hands of Arya was just probably the best cold open I've seen on the show. Do you agree? Oh, cold open-wise, definitely. I mean, the other ones were what? Um, White Walkers attacking a dude we don't know. It wasn't bad. <laughs> and Sam stumbling through the frozen wilderness in season three and collapsing. Cersei's was, I, I think Cersei's was the worst, where she went through the woods and shit. Was that, was that a cold open? Hey, that wasn't a cold open. Oh. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Ty, Ty um, Chopping up ice. Time, that oh, that was. That we also was, had uh, the hound chopping wood, and it's like it's the hound. It's the broken but, um, man. Of all of them, oh yeah, this is definitely the most interesting and exciting. I mean, a whole bunch of characters we hate die, and Arya's being a badass and being fun. You know, I actually when I first heard about it, because we can say this now, some of us read some leaks ahead of time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, they were out there, and that was part of them, Arya Massacre's House Frey, and I was like, that's kind of silly, and I thought it wouldn't really work, but that was a great way to start, because it established two things. A, that's fantastic, and B, there's always this thing I say about it's not, um, you know, what happens, it's how it's executed, Mm -hmm. and that's an example of somewhere I thought that might be stupid, because it just seems so quick, 
But then I looked at it on the actual screen. It was like, that was a lot of fun. That was dramatic. That was interesting. That was a good introduction to a show known for its bloody uh, set pieces to kick off with a great bloody set piece. I I don't know. I thought I I agree. It was, it was the best call open. I remember reading that le- that leak going, and when they came out with the, with the script and you could read the script, I was like, oh my god! I like those words. Those are awesome. Tell them the winter came for uh, House. Those Ray. were good lines. Yeah, yeah, they were awesome. That, uh, was it the leave one wolf alive or sheep or never say? Oh just a good my line. god! Yeah, that was amazing. Okay, so for. Anybody who doesn't know, Richard is our, our unsullied. He's a true unsullied. He stays away from spoilers. And Richard, I got to know, were you surprised by the cold open? Did you enjoy it? What were your thoughts when that happened? Um, I thought the cold open was fantastic. Uh, I didn't see it coming until maybe just a few seconds before I, I started to realize, oh, wait, oh, wait, something's off. And uh, But it really up until Arya pulled the face off um, – I, I didn't see it coming. Wow. So I, 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 I do agree. I think it's the best cold open the show ever did. You didn't, you didn't think, like, what's Walter Frey doing alive? Like, that was, wasn't going through your head? Well, in my brain at that particular moment, I'm saying, is this Bran? Is Bran in here somewhere? Is he seeing something? I ah, thought it was okay. a flashback. Is this a Bran thing? So I kind of had to let the show – it kind of had to spoon, uh, spoon feed me a bit ah. uh, for me to realize it was happening, like – contemporaneously um so that's i was kind of giving him i was kind of thinking oh my where are we uh and so yeah no it it, it got me uh sarah you're aria's your girl and i know you want to speak to this yes um I, you know what i'm quite jealous of richard for being unspoiled mm, i am too right now to be honest i i feel like the spoilers took away from it a bit mm-hmm. not not entirely, because obviously I love to see Arya, first of all, kill her enemies, and secondly, have amazing monologues, which she did. I also like when there is focus on any character who isn't John Daenerys or Cersei. So, the f- <laughs> you know, no, you know, because they are the, the main focus. They're always the focus of marketing. They were the focus on the trailers. So it was nice to see the show open with somebody else. I thought it was originally going to open with Daenerys arriving at Dragonstone. I thought that was sure to happen. So uh, it was nice to see one of the other characters get some screen time. And obviously, I thought, I love how theatrical Arya is with her plots. I love how in-depth they are. I love how she thinks them over. I mean, when she killed Walder Frey, it was such an obvious callback to Bran's story about the rat cook. Yep. So, I mean, she, she did exactly what Walder Frey did to her family, which was massacre them at a feast. I thought it was a beautiful, dramatic ending to that particular plotline. She's avenged her, her family. She's avenged her family's men. So I was, I was very satisfied with that. There was a lot of screaming and throwing pillows around in my house. <laughs> it's not um, even a lie. So, Corey Smith, I'm going to ask you about the very next scene. Um... It, which was the White Walkers marching toward, I guess, Eastwatch. They were headed towards Eastwatch. Um, that's the first time we've seen uh, undead dragons. I'm not dragons. <laughs> undead giants. Um, Jumping ahead. Jumping ahead. Way ahead. Undead giants. Kind of, kind of set the tone for me. Like, hey, the shit's getting serious. Uh, uh, what did? How did you feel about that? Yeah, I think we we talked about it back. 
you know, after we right after we watched the episode, you know, up until this season, we only saw the White Walkers once per season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we all kind of talked about the fact that, you know, we saw them in the very first episode. We know we're going to see them later in the season. So it was kind of showing us, I guess they're, they're really trying to reinforce how much of a threat the White Walkers are. And then, of course, you know, by the end of the season, we learned that, you know, exactly that, how big of a threat they really are. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting. Um, the Seeing the, the Giants was cool. Um, and just kind of the way, you know, we didn't know. They left the scenery kind of unclear. We didn't know where exactly they were walking. We knew they were north of the wall, but um, it was interesting just to kind of give us that, I think, kind of in the back of our minds. I think it was supposed to be something we were thinking about all season long. I know, you know, the characters touch on it a bunch, but I think that scene was especially for the viewers. Yeah, I think so too. It was, it was nice. It was a nice little fan. I think it was fan service because you had giants and they were all like, carrying bows and stuff. And you're thinking, oh my God, they're going to use that to kill a dragon. What, what, blah, blah, blah. And then end, end up using an Olympic throw. But, uh, we're going to move on to Winterfell because there's going to be some discussion. Um, Sansa, Corey Smith, I'm going to stay with you for this, because I know it's going to get ugly. Um, Sansa had a way of interrupting Jon, because she did not agree with his choices, and we talked about that on our podcast after that episode. Um, do you still feel the way you did that night? Yeah, um, I think I do. Um, I think it, you know, kind of, that episode... You know, in the first episode, we kind of saw that Winterfell was just going to be full of kind of annoying problems all season. Um, even after John departs later in the season, Arya kind of steps into that role, and we still have this kind of conflict between Starks. And it it never really – I don't know. It's, it's just the whole thing – it, it was just annoying. The whole season, them fighting – you know, whether it's Sansa and Arya or Sansa and John, you know, a lot of it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And, um, I mean, I, I will say I bought John and Sansa's kind of friction more than I bought Arya and Sansa later in the season. So, um, because, yeah, I mean. Because we've had John and Sansa since season six. They've been together yeah. since season six. Right, and we had seen them, you know, there had been some friction between them after their, you know, even, I think from like the, the second scene they had together in season six, um, you know, when John's talking about he's done fighting and he yeah. doesn't want to take back Winterfell and all that. So I think they, and they, you know, they never got along really well when they were kids, and they touch on that a bunch. So, but again, I just, Winterfell to me was probably the most disappointing thing of the whole season. Um, other than some other issues, you know, like time jumping issues, but you know, none of it really felt supernatural. Um, and it kind of, you know, we talk about fan service with a lot of the other things. Winterfell almost felt like anti fan service. You know, we wanted the Starks together. We wanted them getting along, having fun, you know, back on top, all that stuff. And that was not what we got. We got them all, you know, right. fighting with each other basically. So, right. um, and that, and this episode was where we really got the hint of what was to come the rest of the season. So, 
Sarah, um, Sons is also your girl, and that night when it happened, I remember talking in, 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 in work chat, and we were all talking about, you know, was it right for her to speak up? Was it she, – she spoke to John behind the, behind the scenes and, and all that, and you, had, you made a point that said John should have told her her thoughts. If, there, if she's a lady of Winterfell and John's a king of the north, maybe John should have told her what he was thinking beforehand, um, which I agreed with. And I would say this. You had me on the good ship Jonza for a while there because the touching <laughs> of the arm, the uh, the way they looked at each other, the way he, he said, I'm not Joffrey. Oh, thanks for not calling me Joffrey. And then he pouted. I mean that kind of stuff. I was like, are they flirting? Like what's going on here? So I, I jumped ships a couple times during the season. But um, you – your points – about what Sansa speaking up were very strong. So, uh, and you didn't get the chance to join us after our podcast. So, uh, what were your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm actually going to say I do agree with Corey on one point, which is that the, I mean, looking back on the season as a whole, the Stark drama was just too much. It was very, it felt very artificial. And when I look back on that episode, I think, you know, John should have told her his thoughts. She should have spoken out in public so vehemently. It, it was, I think, poor writing. I know yeah. they've had their disagreements, but I think surely after all of this time and after everything that happened in season six, they would have learned to maybe have some private conversations before they took, you know, before they announced anything in front of a massive public forum because it made... John look like an idiot and it made Sansa look disrespectful though I you know I, I still agree that what she was saying was coming from a a genuinely decent place I think the entire season has proved that she's loyal to John. John she is very loyal to John she wasn't trying to do a power grab she wasn't trying to you know, make his men lose faith in him so that she could then seize his position. She was genuinely concerned. I think after seeing so many people in her life die or suffer because of stupid choices, and, and let's be honest, John is being protected at this point by plot armor because he makes a lot of very foolish decisions. I agree. I, I understand where she's coming from, and I don't think John maybe respected her as much as he thought he did. Hmm. Because surely he would have trusted her with his with his opinions, with his thoughts, and with his plans before announcing them to the lords. But then that's what John is like, isn't he? He's very ride or die. If something's going to be done, I'm going to do it myself. Uh, he makes a lot of decisions off the cuff. He's very much led by his emotions. So, you know, I guess on one level it makes sense. But on another level, we've waited six seasons for the Starks to come together. They've just taken Winterfell back from Ramsay Bolton. They, they could have just gotten on with it without this pointless drama, which served no purpose in the end because everything was fine between John and Sansa. He rode off into the snow and left her with Peter Baelish and that big Stark ball hype that we got before the season from, you know, the showrunners and from Kid and from Sophie led to nothing. No. Yeah, so I agree. what was the point? Yeah, we'll talk about Bran coming back later, but um, it was it was not – I thought it was flat and forced. I just didn't enjoy it. Um, but we're going to move on to King's Landing, and Dan, I'm going to ask you, um, 
not not about Cersei and Jamie, uh, their talk. I'm gonna talk about <laughs> Euron Greyjoy and Barking Dogs. Euron Greyjoy came onto the show in this in this episode completely different from when he saw him in season six. Uh, did you enjoy the new Euron? Yeah, I enjoy the um, Hot Pirate. Why not? Um, I don't think it was completely different. Exa- I mean, we didn't really get a good handle on him the year before that. He was, you know... Was, I'm sorry. He was insane. They tossed the... One sec. And that is Dan Selke's dogs. We uh, introduced yeah. them on the podcast. His name is Sam. Um, he was insane when he tossed the guy off the bridge. He was, I don't know, misogynistic and unruly at the King's Mood. It, it's the same guy, but I feel like they went back to the drawing board a bit between the seasons and said, okay, he's been doing a lot of talking. Let's really nail down his attitude and his character. And it was fun. I mean, you know, it's not like it's he wasn't terribly weighty as a character, but it was enjoyable. I enjoyed his swagger in the scene with uh, Cersei and Jamie in the throne room. I liked Jamie being uncomfortable. Yeah. I liked him, like, making several references to how inept and handless Jamie is. Always a good time. <laughs> I mean, they, just, they quickly had a good dynamic. You know, this is one thing that Game of Thrones does really well. Um, it just it hires actors that know can pull off um, meaty scenes. And that was one they just kind of, they hired a guy who they knew was charismatic and let him be charismatic, and I thought it worked. Yeah, I agree. Um, Richard, do you, do you uh, approve of the new Euron? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I think, I mean, I, I'm a little bit, um, wary. I think one of the places where Game of Thrones has struggled over the years is sometimes they'll get very one-dimensional evil characters. The one that, uh, really bothers me was Ramsey Bolton. I felt like he never really, really got past, yeah, I never felt like he really got past the sort of a cardboard, cardboard cutout of a villain. I thought he always played one note. Wow. And, uh, but Euron seems like he's he's got more room to move. He's more expansive. He's a little bit more, I don't know if you'd call him uh, kind of the old-fashioned kind of villain because uh, he's just very brash and bold about it. And Ramsey was too. But, I, you know, there were times where I was just getting tired of Ramsey grinding people up, minor characters up. And, you know, they, if they didn't need a character like Osha, they'd just have Ramsey, you know, offer in a quick scene and, he felt just like a meat grinder to me. And he, he was a reasonable villain for Jon Snow, but I, I, I like Euron. I think he's, like was mentioned previously, Dan said, I think he's got that swagger. He's kind of more of a swashbuckling bad guy, buccaneer type, and I think he fits well in, in the story. But um, And I was a little worried he might be a little too one-dimensional as well. But yeah, Ramsey Bolton, to me, he, he, was, he was just one... I can't think of one instance oh. where he did something unexpected. I could I could speak an entire podcast and argue with that uh, point. But whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever. We don't have time for that. Um, let's talk. Let's talk and move on. Um, let's move to. Oh God, the poop montage in Old Town. This was the absolute worst scene in a show where people get their heads cut off at various body parts, and there's gore and there's violence. To me, this was the absolute worst scene in entire Game of Thrones history. Sarah, do you agree? No, I love the poop montage. Ah! Do you know why I loved it? Because that was one instance in the show where it made sense to speed it up a bit. Because when I was watching it, my brother pointed out to me, 
a few years ago, that would have taken four episodes to cover. <laughs> and he was, he was completely right. So as, as much as I have had issues with the show's pacing this year, that was a really fast, and I'm sorry, it was an entertaining way to show you exactly what Sam has been up to in the Citadel, which essentially was nothing. Uh, not at all what he wanted to do, which was to go to learn about White Walkers, to do everything that he could to help John, because, you know, John's always at the back of his mind. That's why he's there. He's there to protect humanity. And when you were there to protect humanity and all you're doing is cleaning out bedpans, you're bound to get a bit frustrated. So I I think the scene worked really well. And I, I found it funny. Maybe I'm just more into pure all humor. Well, the thing is, um, to me, the, the a, point was the point was funny. The, the the montage was funny, in my opinion. I just could not. I'm saying it's the worst thing they've ever done on Game of Thrones. I couldn't watch it. Like I, I on a rewatch. Ever since then, I've had to fast forward through it. Uh, Dan Selke, I know you kind of enjoyed it, right? Yeah, I mean, like qualify worst. You mean like the worst scene is in lowest quality? Or just no, the most, disgusting? most most disgusting, awful, horrible thing they've ever done on the show, in my opinion. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I thought it was it's it's atypical for them, right? They do not do montage, as uh, Dan White said in some of the after the episode things. Montage. <laughs> um, it, it, it's just rare. So I didn't think it was a little. It was just different for the show, and that took me out of it a bit. But it it was fun. I mean, it was kind of clever and creative and something different. So I can't fault it too much. Yay, poop montage. <laughs> the poop montage. Uh, we did get uh, Jor Mormont, Lisa's arm. Uh, there at mm-hmm. the end, so that was kind of nice. Uh, the the very end of the episode was Danny arriving on Dragonstone. Do we really care that much about that? It was nice. It was nice that we saw Dragonstone. Dragonstone looked amazing. She pulled the Stannis banner down. Nice nod to Stannis. Well, who who wants to talk about this this part? I'm gonna Corey. Still I, I'll do it. All right. I don't. <laughs> I, the, but you were missing one of the better scenes before you jump to that one. Um, the Hound and the Brotherhood coming ah, upon that house. Right, that was a good bit. That Thank was, you for reminding me. That was probably my, I mean, that was probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole season. Because mm. you got to see the Hound, um, you know, looking into the flames and he's just, at, you know, just railing on Thoros and Beric. Um, but then at the same time, you see him. Burying um, the the old man and the and the girl out in the back, and the, it, it was just it was fun to see how far he's come as a character. Um, I think you know Richard was talking about one dimensional characters, and the Hound has been anything but. You know, we we initially were supposed to think of him as the asshole bodyguard for Joffrey, and he's just kind of morphed into this, you know. And by the end of the season, we see it even more with him and Brienne. But you see that he's morphed into a person that actually cares about other people and that's going to fight for them and do whatever he can to, you know, keep them alive. And and that was just – it was a great, great scene to me and probably my favorite – one of my favorite of the the season, definitely my favorite of the episode. I totally totally agree with Corey just to jump in. I I think the Hound is – that scene was my favorite, and I think the Hound is, is an awesome character. Roy McCann sold that, and he was the MVP of that episode, in my opinion. He he sold that entire scene from the time they rode through the snow and how he was given – what, what what did he call uh, – he called Thoros a top-notter? Top yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that, that, yeah. that was great. And so, I mean, he sold that all the way, and then he that whole change from I, from hating everybody to looking through the fire and getting actually getting religion, I guess. Um, so, I thought it was amazing. I thought it, I thought you're right. That was great. And before we go to Dragonstone, Dan, I want to talk about. But everybody seemed to hate all the neckbeards and and people out there who thought that it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ed Sheeran's cameo. It who was, cares? It oh was my nice. God. It was people so nice. Get over it. That it scene was, was really good. Yeah. It was really fun. Arya and the soldiers. Okay. I, if I can like bleed into Dragonstone a bit, we talk about pacing a lot on, right. on the show, right? And how right. this season like it was a little bit bit off. What was strange about it to me was that the season, it, it almost had it both ways. Like, it had kind of just a scene that was all about Arya's character and Ed Sheeran singing, um, where she just hangs out with some soldiers, which, which was just there to kind of show us their other sides of this war. And that's the show kind of taking the time to establish, you know, contrast and establish tone and theme and stuff. And then you had Dragonstone, the, where Danny, like a long seven-minute track through it where she touches the sand and she takes a big tour of the castle. Like, these are slow moments where we kind of soak it up. And then at other points, the season it was rushing through. Then you had the poop montage where it was just, like, really, really quick. So I, I, don't, I don't think the pacing was fast, and that's why it was bad. It was, it was occasionally, it was, like, it was quick in parts where it shouldn't have been quick, and but but they still did have these slower, lovely moments. Yeah. Uh, the Ed Sheeran scene was one of them. Scene where Arya gets to know some Lannister soldiers, and we reconnect with her, and she that see that she is still, you know, that her experience at the House of Black and White didn't damage her humanity. She still has it. Still gregarious. Still loves people. And as for Ed Sheeran being there, oh my God, who in the world cares? He's Ed Sheeran. He's there. He sung a nice little song. Get over it. I agree. I agree. Let's get to let's get to the to that 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 whole getting thing to Dragonstone. Um, was it Corey? Did you have a point about Dragonstone? Smith, I'm there, sorry, Corey Smith. Not, say, there's two two Corys now. Not so. not Corey Stone, who just joined the podcast. By the way, welcome, buddy. Uh, Corey Smith, uh, did you have a point about Dragonstone before we leave? I think he actually. Message saying he had to go to the restroom. Well, so okay. Throw he's him going, under the bus. He's going, going to the restroom during the podcast, Corey Smith. All right. He's, so he's going to go take a dump in a chamber pot and then uh, we'll do a slam <laughs> cut of all the times he does it. So, Corey Thone, you take in for him. Did you have any, any points about her, uh, Danny's arrival to Dragonstone? Uh, I mean, no, for me it was cool. It was, uh, it was one of the few moments, like Dan said, one of the few moments that took their time to get to the, the end of the. I guess, feeling or whatever. So, yeah, the slow walk up the stairs. It was just, it was weird that we spend so much time in this show this season, like, quickly cutting back and forth between places and people are traveling so quick, but then it took Danny and all them, like, literally three minutes of showtime to get just to the castle (laughs) after being on the beach and everything. So, I mean, yeah, it was was a, a really important scene Obviously, it was something this show had been building to for all these seasons. I think it was a little bit more, just like a lot of things in the show, it was a little bit more important emotionally, I think, for book readers, because I'm sure that there was a lot of backstory about the castle and the Targaryens and stuff and what all it really means. 
because uh, to us it was just like where her family was from or whatever, which is cool, but not as important, not as as deep as a book reader maybe would have felt it. Right, right. Okay, well we're moving on. Well, before I move on, I you guys, I want I want to do this at the end of every episode. Uh, I would my personal opinion when I, we got done watching the. Uh, the premiere episode I said on the, that first podcast it was the best episode ever. That's because I was still, I was the happy puppy dog of the podcast. I was very excited. I still give it at you know out of five stars. I would still give Dragonstone a solid four and a half. Uh, does any what, does anybody agree with that or disagree? Nobody. Yeah, it's solid point, four. Really. Four out of five. It was, it was it was a good good premiere. I thought. Yeah, I give it a four. All right. Yeah, four. Well, we ended on Dragonstone, and and then the next episode, Stormborn, we opened up in Dragonstone, where Daenerys is in a very bad mood, Sarah. Hmm. (laughs) And I would like you to talk about it. So, she was home, and not happy about it, because she wanted to get started with her take over and had a row with Varys, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, you you know what I think about Daenerys and Varys. I think that scene was foreshadowing his eventual death at her hands. Uh, as the rest of the season showed us, he's already talking about her behind her back with Tyrion. So uh, I, I thought that was, I thought it was a nice scene. Again, I kind of thought it was, it was poor writing in that why didn't they have that conversation in Essos or on the boat? Yeah. It didn't make sense that it was... I, I mean, I understand for show purposes and to show the audience what she's thinking and what he's thinking. I understand that they had to put it in. But again, don't understand why it couldn't have been in season six. I guess it's a, a momentum thing. But it, it did ring a bit false to me that after an entire sea journey from uh, Marine to Dragonstone, at no point did she ever sit him down and say, you know, where do your loyalties lie? Right. And I I did think there was some comedy in her sort of accusing him of betraying Robert when he was betraying Robert to, you know, reinstate her family back into power. (laughs) Uh, But I, I loved, I loved Varys in that scene. I thought he was, he was fantastic. It was nice to see him take an upfront stance with the leader for once. Because normally, in the interest of self-preservation, he's quite sly, he's quiet, he doesn't say what he thinks. If you remember back in season three, when Joffrey's having a temper tantrum in the in the small council chamber, and Varys sort of recoils as if he's been spit at, but he never says anything, you know. So it, I guess it's nice for Varys to be in a position where he has a queen or a leader who he feels he can be honest with, whether or not that lasts, I am. I'm not sure. I, I personally don't think it will. Um, I, I think the next moment for me was as a book reader was probably the special moment of this episode. Well, there were there were some other good moments, but this was a really special moment. Is we meet Melisandre, she introduces herself, and then she tells Danny about Jon Snow. Now, as a book reader who's been reading and reading and reading. Over and over and over again, we kept, you know, the last time we see Jon Snow in the books, he's been stabbed. We've done that already on the show. They've not met in the books. And all I wanted to do was to have Danny and Jon meet. And for the first time, she's, she's, she's told to summon Jon Snow to Dragonstone. Um, Dan, you're a book reader, right? 
So, yep. so how how'd that moment feel to you to have Danny learn of John for the first time? Um, felt nice. I, I, I don't think of it as any kind of big moment, really. Um, okay. I mean, Melisandre's there. She makes sense she'd be there. She hung out there for seasons. She's met Jon Snow, knows she's important. Met Daenerys, knows she's important. Hey, Daenerys, why do you call this guy Jon Snow? Um, I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, to be mm. honest with you. I thought it was nice. I liked it. I, I, I liked the moment better when, um, that, that's, I guess, the next episode where Melisandre is all creepy to Varys. Yeah. As far as top Melisandre ones of the season go. Well, and there are only two. I don't. I don't want to skip around. We'll, we'll, we're going to stay here at Dragonstone, and um, when she has the war, the war council with her, her allies. And one thing that I enjoyed about this, and Dan Weiss hit on it in the after episode, was this. This was a war council where it was dominated by women, and they were the ones in charge of the armies, and they were. You know, they were the ones deciding on what they wanted to do. Although ultimately, it was Tyrion's plan they went with. Um, it was it was queens and, and 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 ladies giving advice, and we got a nice Olena Tyrell with Danny, where she said, "Be the dragon." I thought that was amazing. Um, Sarah, as the only woman on the podcast, it's got to make you feel good when they give empowering moments like that on the show. Yeah, it really did. It's uh, Game of Thrones is a show full of men standing over maps, <laughs> plotting battles. Apparently the cast hate filming those scenes, by the way. Um, so it was nice to see. It was Daenerys, Ciara, Ilaria, and Elena all standing, you know, standing around this map. Obviously, Tyrion was there, essentially discussing power plays and military strategy and... Their, their plan to overthrow another female ruler. So I, I love the direction the show has taken. I mean, the most prominent rulers I think we saw in the show this season, aside from John with Daenerys, Cersei, and Sansa up in the north as well. So I've, I've as, a, as a woman, I have really enjoyed this. There have been so many moments in the show where women have been victims of misogyny. Uh, for example, Sansa in season five. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the show has come out of that now. It's it's taken a very clear position of, okay, we're moving away from this. We're showing a society that is evolving to give women more prominence and more of a voice and more power. And if, if that's the stance the show wants to take and if that's where it's going to end, I'm, I'm all for that. Before we leave Dragonstone, there was a big moment uh, that happened. Masande and Grey Worm had sex. And... Um, there was an interview with Jacob Anderson who plays Grey Worm. He said his understanding is that Grey Worm has the twig. He just doesn't have the berries. Um, Corey Smith, do you agree with that? I thought you said you didn't agree with that. <laughs> do you agree with that? I mean like philosophically or – You said in chat you, you that, that was wrong. And, Does and Smith I have Smith. the berries or not? Does he Smith, have the twig you started, or you, Smith, you started an entire Slack page about penises, so I need you to enlighten us more about this. I missed this. What? I, I don't know what he's talking about. All I know is I just I, I feel like there was a scene, and I, I want to say it was in season four or five, 
where Danny and Missandei are talking about it because it was one of the first scenes that we got kind of the hint that Missandei was interested in Grey Worm. And I thought she she said something. She called him the pillar and the stones. Okay. Am I, I know exactly that? what you're talking about, and you're wrong. Um, it's <laughs> Missandei and Daenerys are hanging out. Daenerys is doing Missandei's hair. Right. They're talking yes. about Grey Worm, and Daenerys asks, like, what all does he have? Does he have the pillar? Do they take the pillar and the stones? And the question is never answered. Okay. So, okay. to this day, we don't know. I mean, if he had the pillar, I don't know why he was doing what he did in that scene. But, well, because you know, he was being a... He was being a ge- don't know why? He was being yeah. a... Ger- oh, my God. He was being he a was generous lover. They're going to tell you do that. <laughs> Sorry. You're poor wife. Why am I on this... <laughs> Uh, oh man! You you, um, you stepped in it, Corey Smith. Highlight reel. I feel like I feel like th- we are one step away from creating like a Doctor Ruth for Westeros as we go into like <laughs> this. One. They need one big time because apparently Jon Snow and Grey Worm are the only two to take a nosedive south in all of Westeros. So, uh, huh? He took a nosedive south. On the book, well, she did. Oh, yeah. No, no, in this, on Jamie. Oh, she did. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not, not talking. I'm not way. talking about, I was talking about the yeah. other. Yeah, that's yeah. the the one way. I mean, I bet a lot of them do it, but no one talks to each other about it. Like the Sopranos. Yeah, <laughs> Mormon would talk about it. Oh, it's got to be Hubby would. For sure talk about it. Well, anyway. either way, either way, um, Masande's scene, please. Can, can I make a comment about that scene, though? Yeah, Because it, yeah, go it goes back to Dan, like, about the pacing. You know, Dan, right when I was able to jump on, was talking about how this season, people say it happened too fast, like there was too many things happening too quickly. And I, I think that that is a fair statement, but Dan's right that there were several times that they really slowed things down. This was one of those moments where they really slowed it down. And I, I gotta say, what a waste of time. Like I, I don't hmm. I don't care. I mean, okay, it's not that I don't care. I like Grey Worm. I like Masande. They're great characters. Having them find that connection after being slaves and stuff, and it kind of symbolizes what Danny has brought to people not in Westeros and why they like, it, it shows like their development. We also didn't need it to last as long as it did. And I, I just feel like every time there's even 20 seconds, 30 seconds that could be put toward other things, like especially as we get later into the season, it's like, do we really need like two and a half minutes of that or could it have been a minute and a half? And we could have given the other minute to the scene they apparently cut where Sansa goes to Bran in the last episode and it's like, I don't know what to do with Arya. And he's like, oh, well, you were beautiful that day that I saw Littlefinger betray our dad. And – if they would have left that in, it would have made a lot more sense and not been a dumbass storyline. So, like, the the point, I guess I'm saying, is that that scene was really interesting to me that they chose that scene for that moment in this very rushed kind of season to slow down on and focus on. And had, I still don't know why they did it, but Had, had it they was cut that scene, had they cut that scene, we probably would have got a, uh, a shot of Ghost at Winterfell. Oh, well. <laughs> sure. God damn yeah. it. The insurance we had to pay for all the cast and crew and the actors that were in that scene could have all went to pay for Ghost CGI. So keep dreaming. Anyway, I disagree. By the way, I think the measure of uh, some of the good things a show can do is partly by the small details that you don't really need, but you can show anyway because you're showing a bigger picture 
of the world and the story that even these smaller characters can have a moment. Yeah, you and, and, I, and I agree, and you can show those when you have ten episodes. But the <laughs> I mean, seventh the other episode thing is that the other thing with that is that I mean, like, if you take away a minute from Grey Worm Masande in episode two, like, you don't you don't give that minute to episode six. It's not like you know when you're young and you don't finish your plate, and your mother says there are children starving in Africa. Yeah, like they're not actually going to get your food that you <laughs> yeah. would eat. It's kind of the same thing here, I think. So I say let Grey and Masande have their lovemaking. Okay, that's a, that's a good point. Let them have their lovemaking. Um, we go back to Old Town where Samuel has a Archmaester uh, Ebros looking at uh, Jorah Mormont's grayscale. And um, Sam's like... I guess Sam is really in the shitter with it when it, you know, part, I guess my <laughs> pun uh, is because with the with the maesters because they don't listen to him for anything. Like he just whatever. So um, Sam decides to find the the, the the treatment for the grayscale, and we get a great little scene where he's pulling off skin and pus is running down. I th- I watched that scene again on. Um, the, on HBO now, they're doing the uh, the game revealed, and and they they talked about that scene how um, Ian Glenn had to act that moment with his eyes, like he's got he's biting on that whatever he's biting on, and he can't talk, and he's not supposed to scream. And all his acting was through his eyes. And I said on the podcast for Beyond the Wall that. Um, when Viserion died, it was Ian Glenn's eyes that sold that moment, the sadness of that moment. So, um, you know, it wasn't a poop montage. It was a pus. It was a pus reveal. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. But um, I think I think I think Sam curing Grayscale was a little bit quick, and that's where I really felt. Okay, this new guy comes to the to the Citadel, and all of a sudden he's got a, a cure for Grayscale. Is he smarter than everybody? Is Sam the smartest guy in Westeros? And apparently he is, and he cured Grayscale for God's sake. And um, I don't know. I, I thought it was a little fast, but I'm glad it happened. So uh, anybody have any points about Old Town? If you do, speak now or forever hold your peace. I'll talk. I don't think he was the smartest. I think he was the bravest because they established that, right? That it wasn't that they couldn't do it. It was that uh, no one was willing to because they were afraid they'd catch it. Yeah. And the one guy who pioneered it caught it and died. I mean, I did think it was a little quick. But, I mean, again, it was one of those It was one of those things where I thought they did quick right. Like, I thought for the first four episodes they were doing faster-paced good. They were doing a good job of it. And that was an example of that. I mean, yeah, could we have had some build-up where Sam was, I don't know, studying and getting more tips, probably. But I, it, it still worked as it played, and it was gross, and that's fun, too. Yeah. Think about this, though. Sam was if you, Sam has a great argument for being the MVP of the season. He cured Grayscale. He figured out that dra- the dragon glass was underneath Dragonstone. He um, accidentally stumbled across... The annulment and remarriage of Rhaegar Targaryen to Lyanna, to Lyanna Stark. So, I mean, goddamn, he he was there for all the major high points. Um, he, Samuel Tarly is the man. Uh, let's move to Winterfell. Jon Snow gets the message from Tyrion, and we've talked about this, Corey Thone. 
This is when Davos explains to us that ju- that Dragonfire kills uh, whites. Um, <laughs> what did what do you? Uh, I know you love that, so talk about it. It was it was a moment that I literally laughed out loud watching the scene. <laughs> it was such a I don't know on the nose type moment. It was kind of insulting almost <laughs> uh, because like I feel like Game of Thrones is a show that is never even when it hasn't worked all the way, and they definitely could have used some some lighter or some more exposition maybe. They've never assumed their audience was stupid. <laughs> like they they've always been like okay they get it no like this show has a thousand characters so we're we might need to remind people who this person is you're about to see again for the first time in three seasons or whatever but they're pretty smart but to have like literally he might as well just cut his eyes directly at the camera and be like well you know that fire dragons <laughs> breathe fire and white walkers are killed by fire we might need to go talk to this lady john like what the hell like i it really, it just, and obviously it wasn't that hokey. They, they did a good job, like, blending it into the more casual dialogue, I guess. But, God, I, I just, it blew me away how on the nose it was. Uh, but, I mean, overall, it was still them finding a way to put the chess piece where they needed to put it. This whole season was, we need this piece over here. How are we going to get it there? I don't know. Shit montage. Go. And they're just, <laughs> there they go. So, uh, it, I mean, it ended up being fine because, you know, when they get there, you forget about the dumbness because it was so awesome them being in the same room together. So. Right, right. Um, before John leaves for uh, Dragonstone, he once again calls the lords together, tells them they're leaving. Sansa doesn't like it until he makes her Lady of Winterfell uh, Richard Preston, uh, this is another conflict sort of between Sansa and John out in the open, um, like they didn't learn their lesson from the first time. How did you feel about John making Sansa the uh, regent for the North? And um, I don't know, just just in general, leaving leaving as a king of the North leaves. Like, was that a good idea? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I think it, it still kind of rolls along with uh, what's been talked about before, where I, I think that Sansa and Jon Snow, even though they have their failings, are very intelligent characters, and I think they wrote them dumb mm. uh, in, these, in these situations where any people with any smarts at all would know that you talk things over so you have, and, and you work out your arguments in private. So when you get out in front of the Northern Lords, you're, you have a united front. You have one message because these aren't the kind of people who are, are going to suffer fools gladly. They don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was it was the automatic thing to do is to make Sansa uh, Lady of Winterfell. And I think it was OK for John to make the decision to leave. I think that that was a reasonable decision. And I think he I think he has enough confidence or he had enough confidence in Sansa to leave her in charge. Um and of course, that worked well for the plot because now Sansa was more vul- Sansa was more vulnerable to Baelish. Um, right, right. Yeah, I, but my problem with the sequence is just I really couldn't stand it when they started airing their dirty laundry in front of everybody in the room. I'm just like, come on, guys, that's they're not dumb characters. They wouldn't do that. Corey, um, Corey Smith, you felt that way too, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they. And I think we last episode too, the same thing. It's just they just. 
yeah, like Richard said, they're just they were just dumb. Like talk. Why would you surprise Santa with that in front of everybody? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like why why wouldn't you have said, hey, look, I really need to go meet Danny. It'd be best for us. I'm gonna leave you in charge. Let's go tell everybody. Because then, I mean, you even look better to them. You know, you look better to the Northern Lords. Okay, guys, I'm going to go. I'm going to meet Danny. She's got fire-breathing dragons, which we all know melts ice. And, um, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to leave Sansa in charge. She knows, you know, we've already discussed things. She knows what needs to be done while I'm gone, et cetera, et cetera. It just looked better. And, I mean, you figured John would have kind of had a better handle on this being Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Although, I guess, I mean, some of his... I guess some of the problems he had at Winterfell were the same thing he had in in uh, in, in the Night's Watch is that he didn't really communicate things That's super true. well to people. That's so true. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it was just it was just dumb. They just did, they didn't do it well, and it almost seems like they did it. The writers, I mean, they they did it just so we would have some some sort of like drama. Yeah, you know what I mean. Even if it felt forced, they and that was Winterfell the entire season. It was forced, it right? Like. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was almost like, well, we have to have them doing something, and we have to have some tension. So why don't we make them really stupid and not talk to each other? Because why would brother and sisters talk to each other? Um, you know what I mean? And so it's just like, why couldn't I? Don't know. I don't know. The whole thing was was just kind of frustrating when you're watching it. Well, we, so. m- we move from that scene in Winterfell to the w- Riverlands where Arya is at the end of the crossroads, and she meets uh, everybody's favorite Hot Pie. Um, and and I said this on our podcast then, when when Hot Pie sits down and he's talking to her, it felt like he was talking to her as a fan because he was like, oh, and, and, John, and Jon Snow came down with an army of the Wildlings and he won the Battle of the Bastards. It was like, what? How do you know that? How do you know all those details? Did you watch that season? But Hot Pie was there, and Arya's facial expressions when Hot Pie told her that Jon Snow was alive and that Winterfell had been taken for the Starks, Macy Williams sold the scene once again. She Macy Williams had an, an incredible season. I, I was mad that they kind of ruined it when she got to Winterfell. Well, right when she first got there, her scenes were great. I'm talking about the episodes after that. She, it's just the way they wrote that, that, that forced drama. But later on, while she's still in the Riverlands, she meets her old dire wolf, Nymeria. And Sarah, I know you're itching to talk about it. <laughs> Maisie's amazing. I am crazy for Maisie. Uh, I, I love both of those scenes, um, which was another reason why the later stuff at Windfall was such a disappointment for me, because the first few episodes really unearthed her softness and unearthed who I really is without all of this trauma and anger and hatred that is has been driving her for such a long time, because she was put in touch with one of her oldest friends. She was put in touch with Nymeria, who of course would remind her of a happier time because it was the loss of Nymeria, which really coincided with everything turning to shit for her and her family. You know, when Nymeria ran away and Lady was killed, it began her hatred of the Lannisters. 
So I, I loved those callbacks and I, I loved how when she was with Hot Pie, she was trying so hard to be this sort of cold, emotionless, you know, I'm not Arya Stark anymore. I'm, I'm a killing machine. I just want to get revenge. And then by the end of that scene, you know, she was putting her hand on his shoulder and it sort of reminded her that there are people there who she cares about and that there's something more important to her than revenge, which was always my position. The, the leaks that Arya was going to go home actually came out while I was in the middle of writing an article about why Arya was going to go north. So I was really gratified by that, which, again, that's why it made all of the later stuff at Winterfell so disappointing. Why reveal that side to her and then have her go home and immediately just abandon all of that and get super angry and call out her sister for stuff that really, I mean, I don't care what's happened in the interim period since the two of them have split up, Arya should be intelligent enough to know that not everybody was like her as a child. Well, But she wasn't. And I, again, I think that was terrible writing. But but episode two is, I think, one of her finest. Yeah, and what I, again, after the episode, I watched uh, Dan Weiss and Benioff, David Benioff were talking about how Macy made those scenes, like especially with uh, Nymeria. Um, yeah. The the look on her face when she saw Nymeria and how she kept approaching her. And I'm, I'm going to say this. As an animal lover, Nymeria seemed to um, – she, obviously she recognized Arya, and she stopped snarling, and she let Arya approach her. Uh, both like <laughs> Nymeria the, – the, the wolf that played Nymeria sold this thing too, but Macy Williams, uh, her, her, her comment, that's not you, was a great callback. To, to yeah. uh, season one it was amazing. I thought it, I, I loved it. So, um, moving out of the Riverlands, we go back to the King's Landing, and Cersei is trying to appeal to the lords of Westeros, and we get our look at Randall Tarly and the new Dickon Tarly, who um, uh, Jamie Lannister can't seem to get his name right. I think he's doing it on purpose, though. Uh, but Dick, the new Dickon Tarly was, is there, and Blah blah blah. He offers him to to be a, a the commander of his armies. Whatever. Um, but after that, in King's Landing, we had Cersei and Kyburn practicing the first scorpion on the the skull of Balerion the Black Dread. Um, Corey Corey Smith, you're a hunter. It's easy to shoot something when it's still. Not so easy when it's flying around. Yeah, um, literally went dove hunting just the other day and over my head, and yeah, they're hard to hit with a shotgun, let alone freaking spear. Um, but yeah, but still, those I, I like that scene because you know they go down to this basement. There's kind of Targaryen flags laying about, you know, from when the Targaryens stood rule in King's Landing, and you got the skulls everywhere, and it was just kind of a nice atmospheric scene yeah i know? agree and and like what Corey was saying earlier this is one of those scenes where i didn't mind that we slowed things down a bit um they could have done it faster they could have just not even told, told us about the, the the scorpion and had it be a surprise later in the season um but i i liked it i thought it was a, it was a nice quiet little scene and and just worked really well for me so Nice. Does anybody else have any thoughts about Cersei and her scorpion with Kyburn? Because we're going to move on 
if nobody's do what? It was well, neat. That's my contribution. Neat. That's your contribution. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to the finale of this episode, and it was uh, the sea battle between the Greyjoys. And um, I got to tell you, I really enjoy Euron in this in this whole uh, battle. I love the fact that he rode the uh, battering ram or the or whatever they call that down that connects the ships and squashed the Ironborn guy beneath him. I thought it was amazing. And okay. uh, Dan, speak to the loss of the Sand Snakes. Oh, I've, I mean, they went out in the best way they could. Um, which is to say, no one really cared about them, especially those two, Nymeria and Obara. Yeah. And so if if, if you're going to write them out, sure, have Euron stab one through the stomach with her own spear and hoist her up, and then have him strangle the other one with her own whip. I mean, no one minded that they were gone. But the show got some gruesome deaths out of it. And if I have to enjoy Game of Thrones on that level, if it can't give me a rich, developed character, I'll take a shallow character being killed in a gruesome way. I'm easy. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, meet, you, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you halfway, Game of Thrones. Um, so, yeah, that's what I thought about the Sandstones. As for the battle itself, it was good. Um, you know, not their best battle, not their worst. Um, a new... Angle, having it on sea, all the fire was fun. And yeah. it had a point of uh, kind of focus with Yara. The best moment was when she kind of looked at the burning ships and she was like, oh, fuck, it's all gone to hell. Yeah, it's over. So it had everything, you know. It had action. Euron was a blast, you know. Who doesn't like a guy riding the gangplank and crushing the dude, like you said? Cool acts. Yara was a nice emotional focus. You had some characters we don't like getting brutally murdered. Not that I endorse that kind of thing, but if they had to go, at least have them go that way. Um, and then it all had, a, again, a really nice emotional center at the end with Theon uh, opting not to save Yara and obey the screaming call of his post-traumatic stress disorder and jump into the water. And then Euron's crazy laugh. So it was a fun, a fun action sequence. I liked it. I like that uh, the instant reaction from a lot of people, me included. I, at first, I was like the way that that Theon was a coward jumping over, and then you start to think about the PTSD aspect, and you're like, I can kind of get it now. Yeah, he he, he looked around, he saw the battle around him because at first, when he heard when he heard Euron's call, little Theon, he turned around and, and like walked to him with a purpose, and like I I believe he really had. In his mind, he was going to attack his uncle. He was going to do something. But it was the point when he starts looking around and seeing everything, seeing all the violence and all of his, all the people, all the, all the men under him dying horribly that it just, it triggered that, what, what Ramsey had done to him so often. And he jumped overboard. And yeah, man, that was a really good scene. And one thing that I, I, I didn't notice this in the episode, but watching this, the 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 game show, Game Revealed, they talk about um, Gemma Whalen, who plays Yara, how she made the end scene where she's watching Euron, I mean, she's watching Theon, and a tear comes down her face because she realizes that he's he's not there anymore. He's gone back inside himself. He's not Theon anymore. He's Reek. And and if you go back and watch it. She's standing there, and a tear comes out of her out of her eye and rolls down her face, and that broke my heart into a million pieces because she realized that her little brother was not going to save her, and she was done, or she was captured, you know. 
So, so um, you know that, that was a great scene. Uh, I think the, I think the battle overall was good, uh, but you know, at least you got rid of the sand snakes for the most part. Um, but we could be moving on to the next episode, the Queen's Justice. Um, this was a great episode. The Queen's Justice was something that I don't know. I think we all kind of need, right? It had it had some great moments. Yeah. Um, but we'll start on Dragonstone with Jon Snow arriving with Davos, and he comes into the the, the throne room. And Corey Thone, um, this was the first meeting of John and Danny. He's king of the North. And that's all he got. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's the most Jon Snow thing ever. Uh, it was a, it was definitely a awesome scene. It again, like I said earlier, made you forget the previous stuff to get them there because in a vacuum that scene was really great. And yeah, Danny having her um, hundred thousand intros, which I mean, you know, she's earned all of them for sure. But it's that's her personality and everything. And John getting Davos like like glancing over at Davos like, well, make me sound good, you know. And <laughs> Davos just as uh, king in the north. I don't know. But it, it was it was pretty great. The John Tyrion reunion was nice. Them walking up the steps together, talking about Sansa and all that uh, was was nice. And then obviously John getting his first view of the dragons was pretty impressive. They didn't skimp on the CG for the dragons in this season, for sure. Uh, it, it was it was something we've been waiting for as viewers. Forever, yeah, was to get to get not only have her in Westeros, but have her in Westeros with John and Tyrion. So like the three, like the trifecta. Like if you had Arya in that scene, you would have had the four favorite characters, <laughs> like all in the same room. So it was it was definitely an important scene, uh, and and I enjoyed the way they 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 slowed down. They made it work, and it might have cost some other stuff later on, but in that moment, it was definitely worth it. Speaking of that that meeting between Tyrion and John Corey Smith, um, it was pretty nice to see them two together again because they parted as friends, right? Yeah, yeah way back. Oh, you said other my, Corey, my bad. Smith. Uh, sorry, I just heard Corey. <laughs> Everything's cutting out on me. I just, I literally just heard Corey. Whatever. So, hear what, you... what? Can I just uh, say they shook hands no. last time they meet? Last time they met, like right after Tyrion got done pissing. Like I mean, there was no Purell in that scene. <laughs> Sanitary conditions at the wall are subpar, brother. Subpar. It's cold. It was cold. I don't think germs, you know, transmit very well in the cold. I think. Yeah, it's nobody, okay. nobody gets sick in winter, so it's fine. No, no, no. So, what? no, yeah, they they did part as friends because that was way back before the Starks and the Lannisters even started you know, their rivalry, you know. Um, Tyrion decides to go north to the Wall to see it, and they kind of form a partnership because they're both, or not a partnership, but a friendship because they're both outcasts, you know. Uh, John's a bastard, and Tyrion's a, obviously a dwarf, and he has that great line about all dwarfs being, ba- uh, all dwarfs being bastards in their father's eyes. Yeah. Right? Something like Something that. Something like that. So, yeah, and I mean... So and it was a good scene, and obviously, um, you know, and Tyrion's got the joke about him brooding and all that stuff. But it was it was a nice scene, and, and 
this is again this is one of the reasons we we did want them all back in Westeros is because they all have these connections and we see it later in um, Beyond the Wall in the, the second to last episode all these characters have all these connections and uh, that they've made over the past six seasons. And so it's nice to see some of the callbacks and have them see each other once again and kind of reunite. Um, I think we miss out on some of the reunions and some of the conversations that we wanted to happen this season. Right. Uh, but John and Danny wasn't, I mean, not John and Tyrion weren't one of those where we felt like we, you know, we didn't get a conversation that we, that we wanted to have. So I liked it. I, um, Richard, let me ask you a question. I like the fact that um, when John was being introduced, and we're kind of going back a little bit, when John was being introduced to Danny, and he only had that one title, but then Davos is telling her all the good deeds that he's done, and he talks about the knife to the heart. And that's something that kind of seemed like an ongoing thing until Danny saw him without his shirt on and saw the actual wound to his chest. Um why do you think John doesn't want doesn't want that to be known? Um, well, gosh, I mean, yeah, Sir Davos, he's you know anybody would want him as their as their counselor. I, I think I think John doesn't want to be seen as involved with anything supernatural. I don't think he wants to be seen as the you know the potential prince that was promised or anything like that. He's his personality is sort of the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, you know, I think there was that one line at one point, I can't remember where, I think it was maybe, I don't know if it was that episode, but um, Daenerys said something along the lines of everybody, everybody gets the job they want. And he says, I didn't, or something <laughs> like that. I'm really paraphrasing it, but um, he, everybody enjoys what they're good at. Yes. Right. Exactly. Thank you, Sarah. And um, I think that he just, he don't, he'd get, you know, I, I don't think he wants to be the guy that was raised from the dead, and I don't think he wants. I think he he wants to hide that from her and hide it from the world, and so I think that's why he's ducking it all the time. Okay, well, um, uh, I, I I also think that it, it was just a little bit of like, hey, this is the first time we met. Maybe I don't reveal that I'm an undead you know, fire zombie or whatever we learned later. You know what I mean? Like, like easing into it kind of thing. I think, yeah, it's, I think you're, you're hitting on it, Richard. It is a little bit personal. He is, you know, that's something he wants to keep close to his chest, but also just like, Hey, let's, you know, establish some trust before you start. Um, you know, cause even you see when, she, when he reveals that he's there to fight the army of the dead, she's, like, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, that's it. And, and he didn't want to add, also, also, I'm undead. Also, I've been raised from the dead. You know I what I mean? So I, I think yeah. that was probably a little bit of it. Just a little bit, like, let's ease into things, and then later on I'll tell you, you know, once you trust me and you know I'm not, like, a crazy person. So. Well, um, our next scene was Theon being fished out of the water, whatever. We go, Let's move on to King's Landing, where Euron Greyjoy <laughs> um, is... Uh, swaggering on a horse through King's Landing with his his prizes. He's got uh, Ilaria and uh, Ilaria and uh, what's her name, Tyene, on a rope, right? And he's he's bringing them in to uh, yes, I agree. Bringing them in to um to to meet Cersei. He's caught his prize. 
Um, and we saw Yara there as well, being ca- she was as a captor. But what I liked about this scene was when Ilaria comes into the into the throne room, she sees the mountain, and you could tell that she, she went from being an indignant um, captive to holy shit, that's the guy who killed my my lover. I'm now I'm scared, and. Uh, then we got Cersei with the ultimate revenge. Dan, did you did you like how that played out? I did. Um, I will say this for the Sand Snakes and the whole Dornish plot. They were more entertaining in Season 7 than they'd ever been before. Can we agree on that? Is this like the best use they got out of the Sand Snake characters? Mama! Them off one by one? Mama! Mama! Yes! Mama! You mean violently murdering them was the best? Yes, yes. you're right. That was, yes. that was 100%. That. Like, I mean, they actually gave, it's, it's like David said, a character beat to Ilaria and Tim when they saw the mountain. They were like, holy crap. Like, they're terrible characters. But that was an actual character beat. Yeah. Yes. They actually gave a character beat to Ilaria Sand when Cersei is deliciously and delightfully um, kind of saying all these horrible things in front of her and saying she's going to watch her daughter shrivel. And you can see this, the fear and the terror in Ilaria Sand's eyes. Indira Vama's a very good actress. I, I will say that. I was more entertained by them in this episode particularly than any other point um, in the series. So I, I, I agree, and I think the reason, Dan, is because it brought you back to when, uh, was it Ilaria, uh, the yeah. mom? Back when she was a good character, which was in the season before the Dorn season, right? When she was in, and it brought you back to Oberyn. It brought you back to that season, which was so good, and she was so great in that season as Oberyn's, you know, partner, uh, and and she really had a lot of life in that character, and it just kind of got sucked out afterward. They just didn't do a great job writing that and so she had the benefit of having that backstory that was good that they could play off of with the mountain and stuff so it it worked even more than maybe they intended it to i don't know by having that work it just it clicked more because the mountain was there and yeah it just it it worked because she is a good actress and the other girls a good actress too they just didn't have the best dialogue and their scenes were always kind of rushed, but in that scene, yeah, I mean, it was it was a classic Game of Thrones thing. It was three characters or less in a dimly lit place, just shit talking. And, and it was, of course, Lena Lena Headey carrying the scene yeah, the way she did yeah, too. She, was, she, was cr- she crushed it this season. Uh, she was so good, and yeah. this was one of her best scenes. So, um, I, mean, I, 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 I I agree with you that it's about open, but it's also about. Um, the, the daughter thing, and just the parallel between Cersei and Marcella and then Ilaria and Tien, which they did add, to be fair, after Oberyn's death. It was a lot of stuff, and it did it did give them a nice send-off, them, um, you know, in chains, charging towards each other, and that's how we leave them, going to rot to death in that cell. And yes, Cersei was just wonderfully scenery-chewing, um, being a doll-bitch goddess, full uh, evil mode, which was great. Sarah, how did you feel about this scene? Uh, especially, all, I mean, to me, it was kind of heartbreaking, I got, and I've hated the Sand Snakes in Season 5, but to me, that scene was heartbreaking because you saw Laria, the emotions on her face, she knew she was going to watch her, her 
some a blood of her blood die in front of her. Cersei even said, "Keep the torches lit so she can watch." Um, how did you feel that scene folded out for you? I think, and nobody might agree with me. I think that was one of the, if not the cruelest murders in Game of Thrones because the worst thing that you could do to any mother is what she did. It's there. I I would say most moms, including myself, and I'm only a stepmom, would rather die themselves than have to watch their child go through what she put Tyene through. So I thought it was absolutely horrifying. I think that's part of the reason why there was such resonance to the scene, despite the fact that we don't really care about the Sand Snakes. And Alaria has been kind of a mess in Season 5, but there was some consistency there, because in Season 5, when Alaria pulls up where the Sand Snakes are hanging out, it is time to her to embrace her. So they did set a strong mother-daughter relationship between mm-hmm. those two characters. I don't think it would have worked with the other two, but it, it worked with her. Um, I think Ilaria maybe didn't take Cersei as seriously as she should have. I think maybe the moment she saw the mountain was the moment she did, because as far as she was concerned, the mountain was dead. We have to remember that. Yeah. Yeah, Oberyn, as good as killed him, and it sort of seemed like the mountain had a last hurrah, you know, just smashed his brains in before succumbing himself. So she obviously had no idea that he was still alive and well, which was when the, the terror kicked in. I thought it was a brilliant moment for Cersei. My favorite moment was when she was talking to Ilaria and she had that kind of break in her armor as such when she says, why did you do that? You know, in that in that moment, they were just two mothers having a, well, a very one-sided conversation, but she was speaking to her, not as the queen of Westeros or as her worst enemy, but as another mom who's saying, I don't understand why you did this to my baby. So I thought it was one of the best scenes in the entire season, one of my favorite scenes in the series, and one of the hardest deaths for me to watch because... I could not imagine anything worse than somebody doing that to my kids. So I think that was one instance in the show where the writing was great, the acting was great, the staging was great. Everything was absolutely perfect. And I really have to commend them for that. I I can't think of a moment off the top of my head that worked better on all fronts than that scene. That's a great point. I will say there is someone else on the show that can picture their daughter shriveled and dead from poison, and that's Cersei. That's how Marcella came or Marcella came back from Dorne because yeah. because she killed and, and to echo Dan's point is is that adds that other layer that you were that you guys are both talking about. And I think that's why I actually didn't feel like I, I don't have I don't even have a dog. So like I don't have like <laughs> any type of parental stuff. But I didn't feel as bad for uh Ilaria and the other one because they had murdered so many innocent people. Uh, to get to where they were, including Cersei's daughter, in a very terrible way by poisoning her, uh, and then sitting her on a boat with her dad, and it's uh, I just uh, I I didn't feel that kind of I mean I, I get the the concept that Cersei knew exactly how to punish her, like because because they had the same like passionate love for their children, but so Cersei knew like how to punish her exactly, but I didn't feel the the twinge of sadness for them. As much as maybe you did, because I I, re- I I keep thinking back to what they did to her, what they did to the little dumb prince kid on the boat, 
how they 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 did my my boy Dirty with a knife in the back, big hammer guy whose name I don't know. I was like, I cannot wait to see him use that big hammer thing or whatever it was, and he never used it. So it, yeah, I mean, I I think that it again it echoed back so many different things they had done in that scene. It's why it worked so well. I think both of you guys they, are right. They got their comeuppance. Yeah, they did, and it was a, it was a like Sarah said, it was a very evil, mean come comeuppance, but they weren't innocent. No. So can I, yeah, can I hop in there real quick? Uh, yeah. Just uh, one thing I find interesting too, and and I agree, I think it was a very powerful scene, and and really laden in with how good all those actresses were. were. Um, but that it's it's a, I think it's a death scene that everyone's going to remember, and it's a very affecting. But we actually don't see anybody die. It's just a specter of the death that's coming. And that's a little bit unique for Game of Thrones because usually you see people die. Occasionally people die off screen like the blackfish and stuff. But that's a scene where these nobody's really hurt yet uh, right. by the time that scene ends. But it's a very powerful death scene nonetheless. Right. Good point. Um, moving on from King's Landing, we get to Winterfell and we get our first Stark reunion of the season. But before that happened... Sansa was shown to be a very competent ruler of Winterfell. She's going through, making sure that the grain, you know, people are bringing grain, and if, you know, if they don't have enough, then they'll have to come borrow some or whatever. And then she's, she's like, are they putting leather on the on those breastplates? Why aren't they doing that leather? You know, she was a very good um, um, keep minder of the store while John was gone, and I thought that was a good that was good that they showed that, but. Here's here's what disappointed me, maybe um, not so much for everybody else, but the, the reunion of Sansa and Bran was just a wonk, wonk, wonk moment for me. And it's because Bran is now the three-eyed robot, and he doesn't uh, have feelings. <laughs> he doesn't have feelings anymore, and it was, just, you know, it was just one of those things where I was just like, man, at, at least hug her back, at least... I don't know, dude. Like, give her something. Um, Sarah, I know you you have a strong opinion about Bran, and uh, you've met Isaac Hanstead, right? And he had an interview after the season, and he even said that Bran doesn't have time for feelings. He doesn't have room for feelings, so he's 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 put them away. Are you still sticking with your your theory that he's hiding behind? Uh, the Three-Eyed Raven. After watching the entire season, I stand by my assertion that Bran isn't dead. He's just buried. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think he's entirely lost. There were hints of him uh, throughout the season, especially with Peter Baelish. He got him good. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed Bran this season. I think it was a he was a new and different kind of character. I found most of his scenes pretty amusing. I really like the idea that while all of this chaos is reigning at Winterfell and people are fighting with each other and plotting against each other, he's just there ready to call you out in your bullshit. Uh, I like the reunion. I think Isaac Hempstead Wright did a fantastic job of giving you just just a tiny amount, but not quite enough, never quite enough. Uh, I think he's one of the better young actors in the cast. I don't think Bran overall gets enough attention. I don't think he's taken seriously enough by the fandom as a whole. People seem to underestimate his eventual importance. But nothing I've seen this season or in that episode has convinced me that he is not 
one of the biggest players in the show overall. Loki, Loki, biggest player. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's so powerful. He's so, but again, he's he's so understated. People never seem to talk about him unless it's in some kind of meme or to abuse him uh, on the internet. And we've gotten a lot of good memes from him this season. So I say bravo to Brown. I'm I'm here for him all the way. <laughs> um, Corey Smith, you had a thought on this. Well, I, I, I agree with Sarah. I think that his, I think they, to an extent, they have to minimize Bran because of how important and powerful he is. And that might sound like a, you know, a contradiction, but you know, that if you have a character on the show like Bran that knows everything and that can see everything, that basically solves all your problems. You could literally just go to him and ask, well, what should I do here? Okay, well, I should do that. What should I do here? Okay, I'll do this. You know, so I think that they have to minimize him just to to have a level of suspense that still that the show can still maintain um, because you have to walk a fine line when you have a character like that because otherwise it takes – all the bad decisions out, all the wrong answers and all the missteps that are, you know, part of the journey and on, you know, any kind of show like this. So I, I don't know. That's just my kind of thought on it is I don't, I think it, it, it's kind of an intentional choice by the producers because they, you know, otherwise the show would be over in a couple episodes. Well, it's not the first time that Game of Thrones has done that either, where they, they take something, like they just straight up removed characters that were so magical and so awesome that it would have really belittled, I think, some of the importance later on. The big one being Lady Stoneheart. The <laughs> by 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 showing us that Barrett can be resurrected in what season two, three, two, three, 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 three and then literally not talking about it again. <laughs> Until until after John's been resurrected, like that was their way of minimizing the fact that like we saw someone get brought back from the dead and trying to like let you kind of forget almost how important that magic is. Bran is the cell phone of Westeros. He is like like in so many movies, it's like does nobody have an iPhone? Like this whole thing could be solved with an iPhone. Like that's that's Bran. He could solve everything, and, of course, we know that because we are obsessive nerds who are sitting here on 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night. I don't know what time it is where Sarah is, but it's it's we're the one, Yeah, it's 4 a.m. over there, yeah. so it's it, we're the ones sitting here talking about it, and so, of course, we recognize it, but the average viewer might not really realize how powerful Bran is, and that's on purpose. They don't, like Corey was hinting at, they don't want us to really know. And the few times that they've shown, I think one of those interesting scenes in the show that I don't think anybody talked about enough except for us, because I've <laughs> I've been around, and it was when, for the first time, Bran went back to the Tower of Joy, He and he was there with uh, uh, the old guy. Yeah. The- and he, he yelled at his dad, and his dad turned around. Right, right, right. And then when we go back again to actually see at the end of the season to see John's birth and stuff, uh, he doesn't yell. Bran is standing in the same spot, but he doesn't yell, but Ned still turns around. It's like, okay, so did he adjust 
did, did Ned always turn around, or did the one time Brand said something alter the course of history altogether? Oh my God! Which would which would which would imply you know burn them all and all that stuff we've talked about many times about mm-hmm. fun theories and everything. So like they really can't show us exactly what happened because we've already seen that Brand can with Hodor and now Ned turning around. So they've given us two, and that's it. They're not going to give us anything else because they don't want us to know that there is this trump card in everybody's back pocket. And my theory has always been that that you know Danny and John are going to have to protect Bran from the Night King long enough for him to figure out what to do to stop them. So I I think that that's still kind of going to kind of going to come to a head. And and Smith, I, I think you guys are both and Sarah, you're you're right too. They're not talking about Bran enough. They're not wanting to. They don't want us to to realize that the Terminator is right there. So. <laughs> yeah, can I can I just say though there there are a lot of theories that Bran is going to go back and change things in terms of like saving Ned or something. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the show has structured it very clearly to show that whatever changes Bran has made in the past, they've already happened. Mm-hmm. It's not like he changed Hodor and Hodor suddenly became Hodor in the moment in the cave. Hodor was always like that. He'd always done it. Ned had always turned around. So these sort of crackpot theories that Bran is going to go back in time and prevent his father from being executed or he's going to stop the Mad King from saying burn them all and Jamie won't kill him, I, I think that's all sort of nonsense from people who've maybe watched too many other shows where time travel is treated yeah. with uh, a little less respect and uh, a little less structure. Also, can I just hate on this theory that Bran is the Night King for a moment? It's so dumb. It's stupidest. Okay. I, had a, I had an argument with somebody on Twitter about this. Uh, he was like, oh, it's, it, Bran is definitely the Night King because that's why he went after himself in the cave. I was like, right, so he, he went after himself <laughs> too, though. Do you think he'd just kill all of his friends? And the guy was like, yeah, definitely. And I thought, where are you getting this? <laughs> I know he's emotionless. He's not evil. No, that's a dumb theory. Well, the, the theory, the theory, Sarah, that I don't know if we've talked about it while you're on here. I'm sure you've seen it somewhere else maybe, is that not that Bran is going to stop the Mad King from going mad, but that he's actually going to cause it accidentally the same way he did with Hodor. And, and that's like while he's searching in the past for a way – to, to do something about the White Walkers, like rapidly searching through the data as he, you know, clicking his mouse on random things. He's going to accidentally, like, drive Matt King crazy. Yes. Ah, shit, I meant to hit no. Now Bing is my homepage. And, like, he's... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but King's see, I... I think what happened to Hodor was the Three-Eyed Raven's way of teaching Bran to not interfere. What a dick move. Because he tried to call his dad, his dad turned around, he shouldn't have done that, it was it was very naughty, I'm sure he had a timeout afterwards, or a detention, or whatever, but <laughs> I think, I, because I, I think the whole point of Hodor was the Three-Eyed Raven teaching him a lesson about self-control in the first place, but I, I think what Hodor has taught him is, don't interfere with the past, you could fuck people up in a really bad way, because he loved Hodor so much, Hodor was so important to him, one of his favorite people and best friends and look what he did to him so i don't think that bran will send the 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 mad king mad purely because i think he knows better than that i think he knows now to only observe Hmm. good point um okay we're gonna gloss over a couple things unless anybody's got any points they want to bring up in old town jorah is healed uh he yeah hooray he leaves bran thinks he's gonna get uh 
praised for it, and he ends up having to go through old documents. Castle Rock, the, uh, the Unsullied took over Castle Rock, and then find out that it was, um, a fake move by, uh, by Jamie to pull his forces so he could attack Highgarden. Um, and, uh, Euron Greyjoy's ship was there. So, um, we go to High Garden now, where we have probably my favorite personal interaction of the season between Jamie and um, Olena Tyrell. Um, and the scene set up where Jamie walks in, he pours wine, he hands it to her, and he asks things like, you know, was it was it bad? Was the fighting bad and all that kind of stuff? And and then he says, you know, she asks how she's going to die. And, and Jamie explains that he talks Cersei out of dragging her through the streets, and it's just going to be poison. So she pours the poison. Olena gulps it down like a fucking boss. Like she doesn't even, she doesn't even take a second glance at it. She doesn't, she doesn't shake. She gulps it down like a boss, and then she drops the bomb. Tells Cersei it was me. And there's been a lot of great memes, you know, the sunglasses coming down on your head and. Uh, turn up for what playing, but it that was one of the best moments of the season, in my opinion. Uh, Sarah, h- how did you feel that scene unfolded? I love how much influence Olena has had in the two scenes that she actually had, first with Daenerys and then with Jamie, because I think Olena's counsel was one of the main reasons why Daenerys in episode four attacks the Lannisters, and I think. That conversation with Elena was playing in Jamie's head when he later left Cersei. So it just shows the, the power of that old granny to <laughs> influence people's thinking and, and change their minds. She's an intelligent woman and she she set out with a purpose and she really achieved what she wanted, which was to make Daenerys fuck shit up and to take Jamie away from Cersei. Though I, I do think Olena wasn't just speaking from a place where she wanted to hurt Cersei by taking her brother slash lover away. I think she genuinely felt for Jamie. Jamie's kind of like a, a sad Labrador. You can <laughs> I can't I can't help but feel sorry for him most of the time. I mean I, I like to laugh at him because he's sort of so pathetically tragic and devoted to Cersei and you're kind of watching him repeatedly bang his head against the brick wall saying, dude, no, stop. Um, I think Olena recognized that in him straight away because she's, you know, she's been around the block. She knows men. I don't think she has a great deal of respect for men in general, but I, I think she sort of saw this wounded dog and thought, I'll, I'll give him a hand. So there was a slight air of altruism in her, her last moments, but, but ultimately what a clanger she dropped on Cersei. That was... Yeah. That was amazing. I've, I've wanted to see her interact with Jamie for a long time, uh, just because I thought I thought that Jamie needed to have a conversation with somebody who was willing to be straight with them. Uh, Diana Rigg is an incredible actress. Uh, I think I think the reason she drank the poison so brazenly is because really she had nothing left to live for. I think her whole world was Marjorie, yeah, and to some extent Loras and her son, but really Marjorie. Um, and with, with Marjorie gone, I think she just wanted to hurt Cersei and, and then bow out. I think it was a great end for her. And I'm really glad that we didn't see her die. I'm glad that the shot ended with her still sitting there. 
I would really, I really would have hated to see her like slump over the table. I wanted the last moment of her to be a powerful one, and it was. And I didn't want to see her lose her power. So I thought that was an excellent choice on behalf of the production team to to leave us with a, a living Olena who has just dropped a huge bomb on Jamie's life. I think Sarah has explained this scene perfectly. Anybody else want to chime in? Um. I just had a. I, I just found it interesting that, especially when you take this scene coupled with um, the really good one that we talked about a second ago with Cersei um, poisoning uh, Tyene. Um, I just thought it was interesting how in this scene Jamie gives Elena a painless poison, and in the previous scene he's completely left out of it. Um, you know, Jamie theoretically would have every right to be in that scene uh, with Cersei. I mean, Marcella was his daughter. He actually saw her die, and yet Cersei excludes him from what's there almost as if, you know, she knew she was being too brutal or Jaime couldn't handle it. Um, And then we see, you know, next episode when, or, well, not, I guess two episodes after this one, when Cersei is mad at Jamie because she was advocating for something more painful for Olana. So I, I thought it was just something, you know, both scenes kind of speak to Jamie's character. How much he's um, grown. Yeah, because he, yeah, he was going to, he knew he was going to kill Elena and he could have done it any way he wanted, but he still, he has some sort of, heart or kindness or whatever you want to call it, but there's something there. And even Cersei recognized it because she wouldn't let him in that scene, um, you know, with, with Ilaria and Tyene. Cause Jamie had to know what Cersei was not, not how she was going to do it, but that he was, she was going to kill them. Right. right? right. When he sees, when he sees him come into the throne room, he knows Cersei's going to kill him. And yet, he's specifically excluded from that scene. And I guess we kind of see with Elena why that he's not just some—he's not just out to you know murder anybody as brutally as possible. So, and this is the same guy who pushed. Now- a, this is the same guy who pushed a little kid out of a window, who um, started a fight in King's Landing with Ned Stark, and in in that fight killed Jory Castle with a knife to the eyeball, um, and was willing to kill Ned Stark too. Uh, before yeah. before one of his before one of his men stabbed Ned in, in the leg, this uh, this right. guy has completely grown from season one to now because we're talking about a guy who willingly pushed a little child out of a tower window that he thought would kill him, and now we're all like, I love Jamie Lannister. I was even you know next, we're gonna talk about the next episode in in a minute, and we all cheered for Jamie as he as he charged towards Danny, and I'm a Danny fan. And I was still cheering for Jamie. I was like, "Oh my God, he's so brave!" So he's grown. He's grown so much, and he's probably one of the characters on the show that has grown more than anybody else. He is. He is a very complex character, and I love any time he's on the screen. I think of the three Lannister siblings. I think he has the softest heart. Really, he does. He really does. Yeah. I think he was right. like a good kid who probably really wanted to be a hero. And then it all went wrong, and the world turned on him, so he decided to live up to their expectations and turn on the world. He regressed into his relationship with Cersei, obviously did horrible things in the name of preserving that relationship, but I, I think the last few seasons have seen him rediscover who he was, 
because somebody, one solitary person who was Brian of Tarth, actually saw some good in him. And that was enough for his sort of wanting, desperate, needy little heart to to sort of blossom again and find some humanity. I think he's been a wonderful character. His writing over the past couple of seasons hasn't been great. He hasn't been given much to do, so I loved him in this season. He's really reclaimed some prominence. Let's move on to the next episode. And, guys, we're going to stop it after we talk at, in episode four. And next week we're going to pick up the following episode. So this is the last episode we're going to talk about tonight. And there's really, I guess, three major points to hit right here. Uh, one, we have uh, Arya arriving at Winterfell, which is an amazing scene, by, uh, by the way. Uh, Arya in the guards was an amazing scene. Arya in the crypts with Sansa was an amazing scene. And then Arya with Bran was, was a really good scene because you saw the heartache she had that her brother was no longer there. Like he, he, that he was someone different. And you saw that on her face. And, and of course, she gets the knife in that scene. Um, who, who wants to talk about Arya arriving at Winterfell first? And I know it's Sarah. I know you got your hand up. So Sarah, look. Sarah, talk to me about Arya arriving at Winterfell. <laughs> I love how you give me all of the the Arya stuff because like, she's your girl. She is. I'm. I'm. I'm like sitting at my desk looking at a bunch of pictures of her that are on my wall. She's. <laughs> she's my. Seriously, she's my phone. But I have a framed photograph of her at work. Like, somebody stopped by my desk the other day. They were like, "Is that your sister?" I was like, "Yeah, my sister is a medieval." <laughs> She's just like from another era. I, you know, what? Uh, I. It's, episode four was sort of the last episode before things went really, really wrong for her in terms of how she was acting. Mm-hmm. I particularly loved. I loved her scene with with Bran. Actually, I know Bran gave her that dagger, and eventually it turned out that she used it to to kill Littlefinger. But I still think there's more to that. I think. Arya has a purpose beyond revenge. I've always thought that. I think maybe Bran has more of a sense of it than she does. And I think she she really needed to, to learn to let that go before she could maybe move on to her new purpose. I think she's going to be a big player in the war against the White Walkers. I mean, she's so she's so talented. I feel it would be a, a disservice to her character to have her do all this training and to become so skilled and such a good close combat fighter. And so, you know, she's she's so good at subterfuge. She can make her own poison. She can change her face. And for her only purpose to be to kill some people who wronged her family, she's better than that. Right. And up until episode four, I thought that's really the direction the show is 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 taking her in. And then five and six was kind of hokey, and then obviously they they brought it back together for seven. But overall, I really enjoyed the episode four took her in, which was to realign herself with her family members. Uh, to she fought she fought with Brienne in that episode as well, didn't she? She sparred with yeah, Brienne of Tarth. We had the we had the Brienne spar, which was an amazing thing. Yeah, um, and and again, that was reclaiming a part of her childhood because she always wanted to be able to do that. And it's the first time I think you've really seen Arya since maybe season one when she was practicing with Ciro Farrell actually have a sparring session with someone in a, a safe environment where she could really feel free and happy. So. 
I loved all of her scenes. I loved her reunions with her siblings. I've talked on and on about her and Sansa so often. Um, I think everybody knows my opinion on that now. And I think Maisie Williams is such a terrific actress, and she really sells everything she does. Arya doesn't often talk about what she's feeling so a lot of what she's feeling you really have to get through her expressions and I think Maisie sells that every single time and she's been exemplary this season I agree um Dan this was the first episode of the season that got leaked and um Mm -hmm. I watched it the day it was leaked I waited till the end of the day my wife and I watched it on the computer I ended up watching it like three times on the computer before it came on Sunday night um what were your feelings about this episode specifically when it came to Winterfell? Um, we 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 knew from from the leaks that she was going to be there, but how did it how did it feel to you when she got there? Was it something? Were you fulfilled when you watched that Arya reunion with Sansa? I actually recall watching it and thinking that the reunions and this is the word I used back then. I still kind of feel it, although I haven't rewatched the season as a whole since. I thought they were a bit muted. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why. Um, because the director was a new guy with the characters, or just it didn't have... I was hoping for a, a John Sansa kind of thing. But yeah. um, I, I, I thought Arya and Sansa... And I, I understood why Arya and Bran would be a little muted, because he's a muted kind of person right now. But Arya and Sansa, I wanted more warmth. But of course they couldn't, because they were setting up this... Arya Sansa conflict. So I guess I get in retrospect why it maybe it wasn't a running across the field embracing kind of thing, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think their relationship is textured. I don't think it's was ever going to be happy butterflies connect and just <laughs> because look as 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 little as I liked the Arya Sansa tension at Winterfell, and we'll talk about this more next week. It, it's rooted in something. It's not like it came out of nowhere. Right. I think right. they could have built it more. So I guess I got where they're... I don't know. I just... I felt it was a bit muted. And now I see why, because they wanted to build up to this. Yeah. And um, looking, that, that was kind of my reaction when looking, I saw it. Looking back to that reunion in the, in the, in the Winterfell Crips, when Arya asked Sansa if she killed um, Joffrey, she already knew the answer. And then when and when she says something, she says, "No, I didn't kill him." Uh, Ari goes, "Yeah, I was mad when I heard you didn't." And that now when I'm looking back at it now, when she but she didn't she, she said she was mad when she heard that somebody else had killed him, as in somebody who wasn't Arya because she wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay. She, she okay. Didn't okay. Know that had done then I interpreted that completely incorrectly. Corey Smith, you yeah, got if a, you, you remember. Got a point. Well, I, I was just going to say to kind of agree with what Dan was bringing up. I felt like there was more feeling and more emotion when Arya was just sitting um, in the courtyard of Winterfell. Looking um, at everybody. That was a good bit. Yeah, yeah, good bit. yeah, when she was looking around and you saw the flags and she's just kind of sitting there, th- there was more emotion in that scene than when she – you know, when she actually reunited with Sansa down in the crypts just, a you know, like a minute or two later. So, I mean, I, I agree with Dan. And I guess, yeah, we see now that it was setting up something down the road. But, yeah, it was a little bit muted. And, and you know, if we get more from her just sitting in the courtyard than actually reuniting with her sister, I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that. But I guess we do see where it was going. 
Well, um, I feel like they've they've all been through so much that oh, yeah. it wouldn't have been a huge disservice to the characters if they had literally just excitedly embraced one another. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have seen a problem with that. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like they were like, oh, well, we have to make sure that Arya is guarded and Sansa, you know, she doesn't quite know her sister. I, 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 I honestly, I don't care. After everything they've been through, the beatings, rape, the, you know, near-death experiences, they would have just hugged each other because they were familiar. And they did hug each other. I mean, yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the problem a lot of fans have with the Arya Sansa drama stuff, was that a lot of fans just didn't buy that the sisters would be acting this way. Because she yeah. not, she not, she not only hugged Sansa the first time, but then she excitedly jumped into her arms the second time. So yeah, yeah there's hugs. There's nothing. It was yeah, there. It was there. Um, okay, so enough enough of that. Um, let's talk <laughs> about um, the, real quickly. Jon Snow took. Da- Danny on their first date, and it was what I like to call the the cave painting art exhibit. And um, we we talked about this in chat. It was it's kind of funny, and I see it now. Where it looked like Davos had just been drawing chalk on the wall right before they got there, and but John takes Danny inside the cave, shows her the paintings, and they have a moment where it's their first moment. Actually, it's the first time John actually touches Danny. Richard, um, how did you feel about the cave scene? Um, <clears throat> I thought it was fine, but it, it kind of felt like it needed to be transcendent, and it wasn't. And I kind of agree with the, you know, the, the paleoglyphs or whatever they're called. The, the drawings looked, you know, like Davos or somebody who hadn't spent their life making that kind of drawing would make. And uh, so I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was serviceable. But it really, it actually brought to mind, if I can digress for a second, there's a scene in The English Patient where Kit takes the nurse to a abandoned church and she holds a flare and he swings her up to look at the paintings up close on a, on a sort of a uh, rope and pulley that he devises. And it's really magical. It has a really magical atmospheric to it. And I think that that didn't, Whatever they did in that cave, it needed something like that, and it, it wasn't there. So I felt it was kind of a moment that could have really – they're going into the cave, right? This is the ancient cave with all of the pictures and, and, and the mysteries revealed, and it, it, did, it just kind of felt pedestrian to me. Man, Richard bringing the class to the podcast. Way to go, man. <laughs> um, you know, oh, refer to the English patient. You'll look good. Classing up the joint. Um we also had John and Theon reunite. Um, this, this is the first time they've seen each other since uh, John left for the wall. And um, he's been hearing a lot of bad things about Theon while he was at the wall. Theon turned on Rob. Theon, uh, Theon um, sacked Winterfell. Kill, kill, thought he killed his brothers, but he killed two other boys. And um, he's just all around just been a complete jerk to the Starks, who took him in and made him a ward and basically a family member. And John – Kit Harrington. I, I make a lot of jokes about Kit Harrington's acting out of Game of Thrones because I've seen some of his stuff, and it's not very good. And, and, but on Game of Thrones, he does a great job as Jon Snow, and he sold that scene, him and Alfie Allen together. But John didn't say a word. 
until he grabbed Theon and said, "If it wasn't for what you did for Sansa, I would you would be dead now or whatever." He just stared at him. He did that whole smolder stare at him, and then Alfie Allen, you know, he 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 plays the submissive like to to John's Alpha. He's the submissive, and he walks up to him and he's like, "How's Sansa?" and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was a great reunion. Um, but moving on, let's get to the big point in th- this episode. The really big point. It's the attack of the loot train, and um. Really, this all this all started with the Dickon joke. Um, hmm. You know, it, uh, it's Jamie and, and Bron riding riding up to Dickon and Rickon Dickon, and, and and then Bron laughs, and they're talking for a minute, and then Bron holds his hand up and says, "Wait, do you hear that?" And that's when the Dothraki horde attacks, followed by uh, Danny on her dragon, and then, as you know, all, everything went to hell. Dan. Um, this to me was my favorite battle of the season sequence of the season, and it was beautifully done. Um, and R- Ramin Jawadi, his score played through this episode, through this scene. He was a master at this. It was he he helped sell the scene as as the composer. How did you feel about this? In my opinion, this is. Definitely the high point of the season, the the loot train attack, so it is named. And I'll tell you why, David. Um, it's because <laughs> this is the kind of battle, in a way, they've, they've been up to the entire time. Cause it's a battle that could only happen now, after we've gotten to know members on both sides of the battlefield in great detail. Mm. I mean, I know there are people who like and don't like Daenerys, and like and don't like Jamie, Tyrion, Bronn, whatever, what have you. The fact of the matter is, we have a really well-developed character, Daenerys, on one side, and a really well-developed character, Jamie, on the other side. And you can make a solid argument that both of them are in the right, that both of them are in the wrong, and they're fighting. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is Game of Thrones. Yes. That, to me, is kind of the essence of what the show is. Nice. Different, different perspectives clashing at each other. And then they pour all the resources into it. So, 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 so you already have this incredibly strong thematic thrust, and that's taken me there, and the plot momentum. And then you pour all the legendary, you know, CGI resources and all the other things they have, all the, all the extras, all the battles to just make a pulse-pounding battle. This is, this to me is when, in the season, the series, just, this is just an example of a good how to do it well in any movie or TV show, where kind of plot momentum thematic resonance, and resources come together to just make a hell of a sequence. I loved it completely. I agree. That Jamie charging Daenerys moment, oh, oh it was so freaking good. It was really loved good. Loved it. Um, Corey Smith, I, cons- I considered this battle to be better than the Battle of the Bastards, and I know that's heresy, but I do. I think this is a better battle than Battle of the Bastards. You and I talked about on the podcast last time that we talked about bronze one-shot, Copying John's one shot. Um, what'd you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, it was interesting when you look at the battles as a whole in this season. Um, none of them were, you know, talking about Battle of the Bastards, none of them were as long or as extended as Battle of the Bastards. You had this one, you had Euron's attack, and later you have the the battle at the frozen lake. None of them had any good names this season either. <laughs> uh, but Luke's attack forever. 
<laughs> yeah, no, thank it. you. Um, you. You know, they they were shorter battles, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue that this one wasn't as good, if not better, than Battle of the Bastards, and yet it was probably, I think, about a third of the length. Um. So yeah, and then when you, I, I, my favorite part of the battle was Bronze kind of extended Battle of the Bastard esque. Uh, long shot where he, you know, he's running across the battle. He's dodging flaming soldiers, Drogon's flying above, you know, flying by overhead, and um, you know, trying to get to Kyber and Scorpion. So it, it was just such a great scene overall that ended well with with Jamie's charge, and you know, just made you feel. I mean, like when Drogon, it's like you're 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 almost cheering for Bronn. When he when he jumps up on the scorpion, but then when he hits Drogon and Drogon cries out, you're like, "What the hell? Why'd you just do that?" <laughs> um, you, you know. And so, in like kind of what Dan was saying, you're it, and what you were touching on at the beginning, you're you're kind of cheering for both sides in a way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you're cheering for Jamie when he charges Danny, even though, of course, we don't want Danny to die. At least. I, most of us on here don't. Um, <laughs> We're looking at you. I know Sarah. one of us does. I know <laughs> one of us does. But I mean, you know, so yeah, that it, it did, you know, and even within a short period of time, you had all this stuff happening, you know, over, I think it, I think it only lasted about 10 or 12 minutes, the whole sequence. 13, I think. Like that. 13, I think. Yeah. From, from the point when the Dothraki roll over the hill to when, Jamie, you know, Braun flies across the screen and scoops up Jamie into the the Marianas Trench. So <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was just a great scene. And, and again, I, I liked the the battles in this season were really, really well done, but not necessarily these huge, um, you know, productions that took up an entire episode like some of the other battles, right? Right. Uh, I think part of that is probably that the other battles didn't involve a dragon that cost $2 million per second to animate. And and also, (laughs) Drogon kind of burned everything anyway. There really wasn't much to do after Drogon got done. Well, yeah, and we've we've come a long way from, you know, season one, the Battle of the Green Fork, where, you know, Tyrion gets knocked out and then the battle's over. (laughs) (laughs) You know? We've come a long way from that, but still, I just, I, I liked how they, you know, we, we've we talked about pacing issues in, in this season, but the battles were one of the things where they were very quick, they were very brutal, but they all worked very, very well, I thought, so. Richard, uh, you had some thoughts on the battle. Oh, just one little quick add, to, really just to, to um, add on to what Dan and Corey are already talking about, but I think that... Uh, you know, Game of Thrones has really mastered the art of that the epic battle. They've you know they've studied their cinema and they they can do these great big production set pieces with these all these elements you could spend the whole you know the whole shoot on. And they're so good at drawing those individual personal intimate story threads through it. And that's really what draws you is because you're right in there with them and they do it so well. And it's they really have 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 been able to match that almost from the beginning. Um, although I'll, I'll will state for I, the the unsullied assault on Casterly Rock to me was very cold and uninspiring, and I think part of it was I you agree. had no character to follow. I agree. Um, even 
Grey Worm was there, and we're invested in him, and they hardly showed him at all. You didn't see him in any jeopardy, really, and I don't know why they didn't follow him. But anyway, that's just my point, is that they're so good at crafting those those big sequences. Sarah, you uh, hilariously talked about Jamie charging Danny during the episode and giving him a, a soundtrack, but um, we, well, he needs a hero. But uh, what did you think about the battle? I... I just wanted to say that um, in terms of Daenerys, and I'm not going to abuse her. I know you probably immediately <laughs> assume that I'm going to uh, hate her. I would take her like falling down the stairs and dying at this point. But what I want to say is that in terms of character development, it's it's like a slow burn important character moment for Daenerys, and it isn't realized until episode six. But Drogon is hit by that scorpion. And he falls, but he recovers pretty quickly. And I think one of the things about the dragons is that they make Daenerys feel, at least personally, not as a leader and not in terms of her masses of armies, but personally invulnerable. They, you know, earlier on she says, well, I have Drogon, I have Viserys, and I have Rhaegal. What can anyone do to them? So it seems like more of a Jamie moment. Um, and, and it really is because most of the focus is with him. But if you actually watch that back in the context of the entire season and what happens next, you really see how quickly she goes from feeling like nobody can touch her when she has these dragons to, oh, shit, I could be hurt. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, obviously not just her, her dragons too. I, th- I think she's ending the season in, in quite a vulnerable state, you know, but I, I thought... Rewatching it after episode six, you really see how empowered she feels by Drogon and by her dragons. And yeah, the fact she is, she didn't even flinch at Jamie coming at her. She just stood there and stared yeah. at him. Yeah, and and the fact is, though he got hit, he recovered so quickly. So it was kind of like it was no big deal. We can get through this. He can recover. This has happened to him before. It's fine. He's a dragon. It takes a lot more than that to hurt my dragons. So therefore, I am protected. So. I, as I said, it was a slow burn. I think that's actually a very crucial moment to her character. I think it's the pinnacle of her feeling like she is untouchable because of these dragons, and I think that's very swiftly taken away from her. Interesting point. Um, I like my. I think one of my favorite parts of the battle had to be besides besides when Drogon landed and and used his tail to destroy the scorpion, which was hilarious. Uh, I think. I, I think <laughs> I think because I have I have cats and when a cat gets pissed off they they'll go for whatever uh you know or hurts them or whatever they think's hurting them but uh, uh I, here's my here's my um thought on that battle and and then we can close out I loved the cinematography of it the the way that the, the scope of the battle um when Tyrion showed up and the pain on his face because Tyrion is a pacifist and when you when you he's watching the battle. And, he, and the Lannister men are being slaughtered by the Dothraki, and and then he sees the, that 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 wagon with the, on fire as the horses are, are running away, and the reins of Castamir plays in that slow, sad speed, and it's like, oh my god! And then, then they switch to Jamie, so they go from brother to brother, and Jamie sees the same dragon and the look on I mean the same wagon, and the look on Jamie's face is. Of one of almost, I don't know. I wouldn't call it terror, but he's sad and he's shocked at how quickly 
his army's been destroyed by a dragon and the Dothraki. And I think, in my opinion, him picking up that spear and charging at Drogon was his was his last hurrah. I think he knew that there was no way he was going to get to her, but he was going to try. And he was going to try to end the war by stabbing her with the spear. But he knew that this was his last hurrah. It was the last ride of Jaime Lannister, and he, he was only saved because Bronn is a superhero. Um, but we are going to close out the podcast here. Um, from, from each of you guys, before we before – we, we leave. I'm going to ask each, each of you what you thought of each four episodes. So, Dan, I'll start with you. You're, we already gave um, the Dragonstone. We already gave Dragonstone uh, about four and a half stars. What was your opinion of Stormborn, the Queen's Justice, and the Spoils of War? Okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> Stormborn, um, three and a half stars. The Queen's Justice. I don't want to get too dicey and trap them up. Uh, Four point twenty five stars. I'm doing it. I hate myself. <laughs> um, and then spoils of war. Four point five stars. Ah, real, real good. Real, real good. Um, yes, um, sorry, what, go no, what were your thoughts? Give me, some, give me some closing thoughts. I, okay, Chris. Closing thoughts. Um, I don't think Tyrion's a pacifist. Um, just a quick thing we don't have to talk about, but uh. I thought it was pretty hilarious that after Cersei killed the Sand Snake, she immediately gave Jamie a blowjob and had sex with him. <laughs> and uh, also, I mean, that was a fun moment. Fun, gross. <laughs> Again, it, it, it's all, it, that, that's Game of Thrones. Like, you don't know how, what to feel. Is that funny? Is that disgusting? Is that uh, entertaining? Is that horrifying? I don't know, and I like it. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed the Iron Bank bits, more or less. Kind of a slow-burning plot there. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. those are my final thoughts. Mark Gaddis is amazing in that role. Um, <laughs> He's fun. Uh, Richard, what were your thoughts on uh, episodes two, three, and four? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I guess I'd put um, Stormborn like a 3.9. But I, I maybe I'm a little more lenient, but I'd give the next two a five each. I just thought they wow. were a high point season. Wow. Uh, Spoils of War and Queen's Justice, right? Those are the two that yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Those are the two that I I really liked. Um, and I guess I think just as a closing thought, and this is something that we talked about a little earlier, but um, I think Corey talked about it and and Sarah too. But I I actually think Bran is going to be something of a story problem moving forward because they they have to keep him away from everybody if there's any kind of mystery at all. Which is this is something Corey said. But, I mean, you know, you've got a character that sees all and knows all. He's, they're going to have to isolate him. I mean, they've got to stick him in a hole under a tree or something. <laughs> they but, could always like, kill him. And, I mean, yeah. he's, you know, he's, it's like, oh, my God, you, you come out of the, the toilet or the garderobe, and, and he's like, you left the lid up. And you're like, oh, my God, dead-eyed Opie, just leave me alone. Stop watching everything I do. Because it's, it's, that's, that's what he is. Dead eyed, uh, dead eyed Opie. Oh my God! I I will call him that from now on. <laughs> that's a that's a line from uh, uh, Breaking Bad uh, that somebody calls somebody else. But I I do think it's going to be interesting how they handle him because he can spill the beans on anything. Yeah, and and that's a great character to have. But it's also it's almost a minefield how you work him into with anybody else in the room. As Sarah said, the, the memes are endless with with Bran right now. And, yeah, uh, no, they are. Absolutely. So anyway, and I guess that's they're hilarious, and they're they're they're, they're hilarious. Uh, Sarah, 
run down the, the Stormborn, the Queen's Justice, and the Spoils of War for me. Okay. Um, if we're giving the marks out of five, I would give Stormborn a three and a half. I would give the Queen's Justice a four and a half, and I would give the Spoils of War a four and a half also. Um, John and Daenerys couldn't care less. Uh, really couldn't care less. I think every character who interacts with Daenerys is immediately made less interesting. Uh, but that's just, that's me being, I'm dying for Tyrion to get away so he can be more interesting again. Uh, Cersei, I think, is playing the best damn Game of Thrones in the entire show because she, in the space of a few episodes, went from being the biggest underdog and, uh, you know, a dead cert for failure to getting one up on Daenerys more than a few times. Uh, I've really, really admired how she's played the game, even though and, and a, a lot of people have made this point to me who seem to think that I want Cersei to win because I love her and I hate Daenerys for the same reason I love Cersei. That's not true. I just find her wildly entertaining and interesting and fun to watch. So I hope she carries on right until the end. Um, love for the Winterfell stuff. Unfortunately, it was a, a setup for something quite disappointing. And um, I persist in thinking Alfie Allen is probably the best actor in the entire cast. And where is his Emmy? I will. I will agree with you on that. He is never leader. Sure. He I can never decide. <laughs> He's a damn fine actor. Uh, Corey Smith, uh, episodes two, three, and four. Um, same scale on a, on a scale of five, um, probably, probably 3.75 for, um, <laughs> episode two, and then I'd say four and a half, um, for the last two, maybe 4.75 for, uh, for the spoils of war, um, because the dragon sequence was just so good. Um, I think that. This was the point in the season, you know, when we had when we ended on on the dragon battle. I think we were all feeling, you know, we we had noticed kind of the cracks. We'd seen the t- the people jumping around, and we had noticed the the speed up of the episodes. But I don't think that it it really became a problem until the two episodes after this. Right, right. Um, and so I think at this point in the season, we were all thinking that this it was a a very good season just with some nitpicking things to going on before we got to the next two where it was, you know, the wheels kind of came off there for a while. Um, I did like what uh, Sarah was just saying. I like how Cersei kind of outwitted Danny because before we, before the season aired, it looked like it was going to be a very one-sided battle. Right. Um, You know, basically everything was stacked against Cersei and somehow she managed to t- flip the the script on Danny in the first four episodes up until the dragon attack, um, and that to me that was exciting because we, you know we know we knew going in just about everything you could know about the season, and still we were like, well, how the hell is Cersei gonna make this entertaining? Yeah, yeah. and and they somehow managed to do it. So kudos to them. Um, I definitely, if we were going to pick, probably, if we were going to pick, I, I would like the first half of this season better than the second half, so. I agree 100% with you. Um, you know I, what, I, I think it's it's the Empire Strikes Back, that's what it is, it's that oh, part of this. Oh, yeah, okay, like hold on, Let, 
don't take out the holies of holies. Um, you know, but I, I do see what you're saying. This was this is the point where you're just like, it, you know, you didn't plunge into some of the 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 bad parts. The cracks were starting. You could see them, but they hadn't become full on problems yet. So. I uh, I would say that Stormborn gets a three for me, flat three. Queen's Justice is 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 a four and a half, just because of the acting that happened. And I'm giving Spoils of War a five because that battle. First of all, you had the Winterfell stuff, which at the time the Winterfell stuff in 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 the Spoils of War was great. It was amazing. Uh, the duel the duel with Brienne was one of my favorite scenes of the entire season. Um, and then and and then of course the loot train battle. You got to see the. We've never seen the Dothraki charge before. We saw them. We saw them in the season finale, or the the, the Winds of Winter. No, no, no. They it was uh, the Battle of the Bastards. They charged towards the gates of Meereen, but it wasn't a full charge. We didn't get the whole the whole the whole thing. This was Dothraki standing on their on their horses, jumping off, and just doing all kinds of acrobatic things, and just. Wiping out the Lannisters before Drogon got there, and when Drogon got in, you know he just burned everything, and there, the Lannisters and Tarleys never had a chance. And the way that this battle was made better was through acting on. Uh, I, I I believe that Emilia Clark did a great job when she had her chances, like she she when she calls Dracarys and as she's as she's riding around looking at things, she has facial expressions. I think that Jamie Lannister, uh, <laughs> NC Dubs is what we call him because none of us can pronounce his name, so I, I bet Dan could. Um, I NC Dubs sold his scenes. He was great. He was amazing as Jamie Lannister. Uh, Peter Dinklage as Tyrion was also amazing, and you ha- and Bronn, of course, as a side character. This was his t- star episode. So right. I I gotta tell you, I think Spoils of War deserves a five, and um, I think it was probably one of the better battles of the entire series. Not the best, but one of the better better battles. So um, that's that's my that's my. I put in Tom Hopper in there too as Dickon. I think that was I thought that was good too to give like a. Gives a more red shirty character. Yeah, kind of wonder if they might die or not. He had a little depth in that in that episode because he talked about yeah uh, fighting uh, against people that he'd grown up with and hunted with. So um, you know, yeah, I, it kind of puts his death. It kind of makes it a little shittier. You kind of go, damn it, why'd you have to kill uh, Dickon? I almost called him Rickon. Anyway. <laughs> that's going to be it for tonight. Uh, we w- next Monday we are going to record, uh, and and we're going to hit East Watch, Beyond the Wall, and the finale, The Dragon and the Wolf. So, for myself, for Corey Smith, for Sarah, for Richard Preston, thanks for being on the show. And we hope you come back next week. And for Dan, you better come back next week, please. Um, um, this has been Take the Black. Thanks for listening, and we'll holler at you next week, Valar Mogulis. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Right now, all stock outlets with USB ports are on sale. Ditch the need for bulky USB adapters. Upgrade your home with features like ultra-fast charging, allowing you to charge your smart devices up to 40% faster than standard USB outlets. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all the great deals happening this week. Save big money.